Hey there, guys. I'm here today with Adam Queenie. Adam is an obsessive perfectionist, a high performer, a former lawyer, and a current life coach. After four years of self-discovery and coaching, he's also learned that he has a pretty big heart. And he found out that both his greatest strength and his greatest weakness is being kind-hearted. Super excited to dive into that. But first, I want to welcome you on the show, Adam. Thanks, Kaleen. I have to say that I think the worst part about doing any kind of public speaking or being on a podcast or anything is hearing your own bio read back to you. Yeah, I think it's freaky, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. I just want to edit every time. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Don't get me started on that because I'm yeah. also an obsessive perfectionist. So don't get uh-huh. me there. <laughs> okay. It's great to have you, man. Adam, please take a minute and fill in the gaps from that intro and tell us how did you get started on your journey of coaching? Um, let me try to compress as best I can. So software developer to project manager, bored, very successful, but quite miserable. I was doing things like coming to work, working for three hours, then getting stoned and doing nothing for five hours because I could get away with it. Left that to pursue a career in law because I was looking for a new challenge. I finished going to school for that, but I could tell that probably wasn't the career I wanted. And over the course of about a year, I took one training. I worked with a coach. I discovered this profession. I was like, holy cow, this seems amazing. After that training and that coach, I was starting to get bored again, and this is where it really started to take off for me. I signed up for a very expensive, rigorous, year-long confronting training program called Accomplishment Coaching, and they told me at the very start, they said, we're going to speak to your greatest, highest version of yourself, and we're going to point to the stuff you put in the way of that that keeps us from being with that. And I'm like, whatever. What are you going to show me? I've been reading personal development books for 13 years. What's left? And they told me, Adam, here's the deal. The package looks great. You're charming, handsome, witty, well-educated, successful, whatever. But you're a lot like a new iPhone. (laughs) We pick you up and we want to play with you. And it's entertaining and novel, right, while we do. But then we set you down and we go have a beer with our friends because we can relate to those people. And Adam, you just have no capacity for authenticity, no capacity for vulnerability, no ability to create intimacy or to allow for it. And as they were saying this, this was hitting me pretty squarely between the eyes because can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I could see it everywhere in my life. The biggest one was um, in my marriage. I have married to a woman I love so much and we have such an incredible relationship and we really, really, really struggle with intimacy, which of course includes sex and physical intimacy, but it's not limited to that. It's everywhere. Emotional intimacy, sharing any thoughts, like even allowing other people to see my anger or stuff like that. And so they kind of knocked me on my ass with that. And then they told me amazing set of skills for a lawyer that you've created, like constantly scan yourself for your flaws. So you can address them before anyone else, scan other people for flaws. So you can attack them there if they become a threat, et cetera, et cetera. Terrible skills for a relationship, which is ultimately what this profession is about. And then the last thing they left me with is they said, you can leave here right now. We hope you don't, but you can, and you'll still be a leader. That's the good news. You're the set of qualities and traits that you bring into the world. We look to you for leadership. It's natural. And you look to step into leadership. It's natural. You've probably always risen to, you know, lead your group projects in school and stuff like that, which was true. They said, however, you will forever be a leader of followers because those are the people around which you're willing to be fully open, expressed out there, whatever. And if you're willing to unlock this from within, 
you got to do this. We'll coach you. You're here for 11 more weekends. You've got a coach all year. You've got a team supporting you. You've got us leading you and you're still too good. You can let us think we're making a difference and slide us out the back door. And if you're willing, (laughs) if you're willing to unlock this from within and do the work, the person you're on this planet to be is a leader of leaders. And so I drove from Seattle up to Vancouver where I was staying that night, which is roughly three hours, four hour drive. I cried for roughly three, four hours. (laughs) (laughs) not because I was sad, but just because I'd been opened up in a way I'd never experienced in my entire life. That moment and that subsequent year really bent my life's trajectory at a 90 degree angle. Everything shifted from that point on. And that's been the path I've been walking ever since. That brings us to here. Wow. That's an amazing journey. And I cannot begin to thank you for being so open to share, (laughs) to share this so vulnerably with us, uh, Adam. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Actually, that's one of the reasons that I really wanted you to be on the show because I knew that you will do this. (laughs) (laughs) You bet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Please share with us a little bit about the work that you're doing today and about the transformation that you as a coach are being able to provide to your clients. Okay. And let me caveat that by saying that the work I do, it's... There's two things that I hold to be really true about it. The first one is that talking about it is the most boring thing in the world. (laughs) And second, experiencing it is like the most powerful thing in the world. So absolutely. notwithstanding that, I'll do my best, but bear with me if I drag it down. So the people I work exclusively with are people that I call the smartest person in the room. Uh, Usually people knowing immediately the kind of person I'm talking about or their reaction is, that's me. I'm often smarter than most of the people in the room. Other people sometimes get bogged down and like, uh, well, what does smart mean? What's the definition of intelligence? Are we talking emotional? None of that matters. You already know who I'm talking about as soon as I say the smartest person in the room. If you're one of these people, you are very good at identifying trends, seeing the patterns that people are playing out and kind of being one step ahead of those. So you're very good in careers that kind of are served by that, such as perhaps financial, like market kind of research and and playing the markets. You're exquisite at separating your heart from your logic and decision making and very good in the clutch. In fact, spend a lot of time thinking and analyzing and learning about and determining meaning from. And so you also thrive in positions that benefit from that, like the practice of law, the practice of medicine, accounting, CEOs, where you have to be able to make tough decisions without letting your emotions get in the way. However, we also struggle with things like arrogance, because there's a degree of arrogance that comes from being smarter than most people. Doesn't mean we're better, no way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't believe it. Not for a second. Nah. <laughs> and it's great, right? Because if we took another character trait that's just as beautiful and perfect, we could look at generosity. And there's a degree of righteousness that comes from being the most generous person in the room, right? Like everyone else is showing up this way and it's like, hey, I donated half my money to charity. What did you fuckers do? So <laughs> it's not that the arrogance is bad. It's more that we try to do things like we hate the fact that we're arrogant. We know that it's there. And so we try to hide it. And then what that does is it makes us all wacky because we're managing ourselves. We're trying to censor ourselves. We're trying to pretend we're not better than other people, even though sometimes we feel that we are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the transformation, the work that I do in that area, and just to be clear, all of this is as much about me as about anyone else. I'm totally describing myself, I think, as every coach does. And 
the work I do is really to support myself first and then other people to move beyond mere success and create fulfillment, to actually create intimacy and not just intimacy with other people, which is what most of us want, but actually intimacy with ourselves. Most of my people and me, we're so good at separating and living in our heads that we often don't even know what we're feeling in the moment. We're talking about a men's journey and like, that's an incredible gift to a man to some extent, but it also leaves us feeling and the people around us feeling like we're quite cold. We can be robotic. We can come off as quite heartless, even though we actually have huge hearts. And the end result is that people people create a whole bunch of things. The ones that's really been impactful for me recently is just I had a client create a million dollars in her business. So she doubled her revenue in, in her business in a year. But what was really cool was not that. It was that who she was being to create that was she started to open herself up to people and she started to be more available to her family and to her child. And she started to stand up for herself more. And like all of the stuff that happens behind the scenes, that's the real cool part. And in the foreground, yeah, a million dollars is nice too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Adam, while you were describing your client's avatar, you were talking about yourself as well. And that was uh, going to be my next question. How did you choose your client's avatar? How did you uh, select those people who you truly believe that you can help the most? What is the connection? Well, I chose it in the most difficult way I possibly could create for myself. So first of all, I really believe in coaching. You know, you and I are both in this profession. There's a lot of talk about niching. Who's your niche or niche, as they say in America? And then people will say, I want people that are high performer. I work with people that are high performers and ready to play a big game. And it's like, I don't know a single person that probably wouldn't identify themselves that way, at least at some point in their life. They're like, hell yeah, I want that. I think that a good niche should scare you. Like, I think if we're really narrowing down on our people and speaking to our people, it should be a little bit frightening. And holy crap, is it ever frightening for me to own that I tend to be one of the smartest people in any given room? That's an edgy thing for me to own. It's an edgy thing for my people to own. So for a long while, I struggled with this. Again, I didn't want to be arrogant. So then I would do the opposite thing, which is like false humility. And then I would buy into my false humility. So I'd be like, I'm not really that smart, blah, blah, blah. And the journey to identify these people has been a lot of me working with my own coaches and starting to see who I actually am. And then also being supported by some other people. I have a brilliant branding woman I work with who's been drawing us out of me. And lastly, it was kind of just like, okay, I'm willing to own the arrogance that comes with calling yourself the smartest person in the room. That's the last kind of step is just owning it, being willing to have people then say to you, well, that's kind of arrogant, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what was the second step going out on the street and uh, <laughs> searching for people who are... <laughs> are you arrogant? We should talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how, how does that work, Adam? Well, basically, I speak it into the world. I think that's what most of us want to do is we want to identify the thing and then have people run towards us or have our thing totally figured out and all sorted before we then begin to live into it. I'm speaking a little esoterically, so let me make it more concrete. I didn't have this figured out. Like the first time, maybe six, seven years ago, the first iteration, I, I would tell people I work with brilliant polymaths. And literally everyone, including myself, would be like, "What? who the hell is that? What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly what I was thinking right, right now. Right? <laughs> so that was like the first iteration of this. And so it's really been a practice. You know, I'd say that a few times. And at first, 
people would have a weird look on their face. I'm like, I'm just not saying it right. And then so I'd say it more and I practice it and I'd keep saying it. And then I realized I've practiced this a lot and people are still looking at me with that look on their face. I think this is not as refined as it could be. I went back to the drawing board and then I tried to make it more broad. And then like, I think it's really a process of iterating and being willing to speak it into the world. And if your audience wants, like if you listening want a resource for this, I cannot recommend a book by Austin Kleon enough called Show Your Work which is all about put your work out into the world before you've perfected it so that the world can tell you how it feels about it. And that gives you feedback and then that helps you actually continue to build and grow. Absolutely, great advice, great advice. But talking about building your niche and your business and building an audience, I want to know your opinion about the world of digital marketing because it seems that this is the future this world is so complex that it gets many online entrepreneurs confused about what they should be doing and many of them end up quitting. So what is your perspective on this? How did you build your business? How did you grow your audience? Um, I want to call myself out first. So the way I've grown my business has been word of mouth, referral and invitation, and then just connecting with lots and lots of people. No marketing. I have a website, I write content, I create content, but I do it because I love it. And then I put it out into the world and I'm starting to, to see, I'm starting to distinguish. I actually have a, I guess I would call it a blind spot around marketing. Like there's a part of me that's like, ah, marketing is advertising, that reactive kind of, that way of being that's a little reactive, like, ah, fuck marketing. That's dumb. All it is is getting people to you, but you're not doing any deep work. You're not creating relationship. And I'm realizing that that's just another belief. And every belief is inherently limiting just by nature of it being a belief. But there's a time when a belief serves us and a time when it's time to let it go. And I can feel that the right wrongness, like how rigid that belief is for me, how black and white I am about it, I can tell that's an edge for me to lean into. And I care so much about people really living into their truest self and really living into the inspiring people that they are and really loving life. And I care so much about the coaching profession and what's possible. Why wouldn't I want a bigger bullhorn, so to speak, to like read that message into the world? And that's what marketing provides. So I'm getting over myself. I'm in the process of letting go of my rigid beliefs about digital marketing. And I think that there's a lot of value in being able to share your message further. And the caveat I also have is that I think it's no substitute for doing our own deep inner work. I want to ask you about an interesting, actually a very basic idea. What does it really mean to be an entrepreneur in this day and age? <sighs> Just want a simple question. I'll just deconstruct the meaning of life here, Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give it a little bit of context. So the first thing cool. that is very important to say is that usually coaches don't necessarily understand that being a coach pretty much implies that you need to have entrepreneurial skills because you are actually building a business. And some coaches find this out the hard way, probably after a couple of years of hardship. So in this context, when various professions do not realize that they actually need entrepreneurial skills, I want to ask you, <laughs> what does being an entrepreneur mean from your point of view? The first thing that comes to mind is both corporate world and as an entrepreneur, we have to overcome our fears. As an entrepreneur, our fears tend to be greater because we're doing something closer to our heart. So the more we care about something, we're going to be more afraid of messing it up, fucking it up, failing, and whatever that failure means. So 
both corporate and entrepreneur, you both have to confront fears. In the corporate world, you've got all of this corporate inertia behind you that kind of pushes you through your fear. So you still have to confront fears, but you've also got like your boss saying, look, you've got to address this. You have to deal with this. Take this on. Tell me what you need, whatever, or just do it. And then you do it. As an entrepreneur, we don't get that benefit. There's very little pushing us. It's easy to squirrel away or to let our fears get the best of us. It's easy to make excuses. And there's no one that's really going to sort of breathe down your neck and say, hey, you need to do that thing that you said you were going to do. And this is one of the reasons I think coaches really need coaches is so that we can see those blind spots because our fear is very elusive and it's very smart. No matter how on the ball we think we are, our fear is always going to get the better of us. I think that's the only way we can really continue to move forward is to know like at some point my fear is going to trick me and it's going to get me. It's not about never letting that happen, but more about just acknowledging it and looking for it when it does. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Great stuff. Adam, as we are reaching the second part of the show, I would now like to ask you a few personal questions that will give the audience invaluable pieces of wisdom to help them on their journey. So are you ready for the fire round? Oh, I'm ready for the fire round. <laughs> awesome. Here's the first question. If you cool. were to recommend one book that every man must read, what would it be and why? I'm choosing between two books. I think the one that is freshest for me right now is called No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is written by Dr. Robert Glover. That's a classic. <laughs> yeah. I think um, you and I are both deep into men's work. And one of the things I see many, many, many men struggle with is we struggle to integrate heart with cock. We struggle to integrate that lover, that part of ourselves that cares so much with that warrior, that part of us that kills and fucks and thinks these lurid thought like that part of ourselves. We struggle to integrate those. And in the wake of um, like feminist movements and anti-machoism and all of this stuff, like the modern era, I think many, many, many men, we've learned to lean much more heavily on the heart part, the lover. And what that has created is a lot of people, a lot of men that kind of were nice guys. And this book does such an incredible job of distinguishing that, sort of laying it out like, hey, here's some of the symptoms. And it's so rare that I send that book to a man and he's not like, oh, my God, he wrote this for me. This is crazy. <laughs> that is just such a powerful book and so potent and just brilliantly written. Incredible. And not too long either. So it hits all the marks. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the top three books that I uh, usually recommend to the guys that I'm working with. And I think what, what are the other two? You got to tell me, let the me other two, Yeah, the other two are David Data's book, mm. obviously, mm -hmm. The Way of the Superior Man. Yeah. And Adam Grant, I think it's the author's name, Give and Take. Mm. Yes, also very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely love the book. I don't think I moved further than page two or three. And I already had those thoughts that you were talking about. <laughs> I had the feeling like the guy's been stalking me my entire life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> okay. Adam, if you had the opportunity to talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? What would you tell him to do differently? Uh, well, first of all, I wouldn't give him advice because I know he wouldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a really tough question. Like, on the one hand, I do believe that. On the other hand, I want to play the game. Like, I, I do, what would I tell myself? And, I mean, I'd love to say, wow, find your way to coaching sooner. But I don't know that I really believe that to be a coach, part of our job is to go out into the world and get fucked up. 
like to mess up, to create some scars, to create some battle wounds, to create some patterns and habits that don't serve us or that get us somewhere. You know, I could have said to myself, don't bother practicing law. You don't need to do that. That's a detour. But actually, that's exactly what led me here. And I don't know that I would have been open and ready for this next phase of my life if I hadn't followed that path. So I suppose I'm just kind of arriving at this now. I suppose the advice I would give myself is just uh, sounds so cliche, like, you don't have to worry about where you're getting to really love your journey, really love your wife, really be grateful for everything that you have. And um, man, this is one hell of a ride that you're on. Like, I think I would just presence myself to that because at 20, I think I was really trying to get somewhere and I was stressed out about not being enough and all of that stuff. And I don't think I could have taken that away from me, even if I wanted to. I think I had to experience that and walk through it, but I probably could have enjoyed it a little bit more. Just a tiny bit more. <laughs> I had on this show some guests who are prepared for this question and they have a list of things that they would have loved to be different, things that they would love to change in their history. And yeah, I mean, that's one way to look at it as well. For me, I'm more inclined to the things that you just shared. It's one hell of a ride. And if I were to change anything, it's a very high risk that I wouldn't be here right now as I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, like even I was just thinking, <laughs> what if I were to talk to 38 year old Adam, who is what it's like, like, what advice would I give him? And I'll tell you, 38 year old Adam is still we never get over fully. Like I'm still trying to fix things. I was getting coached by my coach just yesterday. And I was at the end, she was saying, anything you want to share to finish up? And I said, ah, I wish like I feel like a rock star coach. I know I am gifted as a coach. I know that's my place. That's what I'm here to do. I just wish I didn't feel like such a shitty client. Like I wish I felt like I was as good a client as I do as a coach because I'm trying to fix parts of myself. I relate to me as broken. I bring things to my coach. I'm like, I suck. And here's all the ways I suck. So I think I'd probably give 38 year old Adam that same advice and maybe just be a little softer and more open to hearing it these days than I was when I was 20. Powerful stuff. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so look, guys, I'm a great coach, but you don't want to coach me. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay so we'll keep that in mind definitely <laughs> all right <laughs> adam i want to ask you to share with us a piece of advice that your father never got to tell you or maybe he didn't know about being a man in today's world i'm talking about information or advice that would have changed everything in your adult life one that you will be sure to share with the future generation um I'm going to change the way you ask the question, but I think I'm still going to answer the spirit of it. So it wouldn't be advice. What I would feel from my dad, he too is one of the smartest people in the room. And like many of the smartest people in the room, he has a very good head. He's good at smarting, very smart, huge heart, and has learned to live most up in the head in the realm of logic and away from messiness. And the thing I wish kind of for my dad as much as for myself was that he was able to not only have all of the empathy he has, but to survive it and stay open. Whereas instead, what I think I've seen my dad struggle with is when you really love people, it also causes you to really hate them because they disappoint you or let you down or you can see what they're capable of and then they don't rise up to that. And you're like, ah, you idiot. And the way I think I've seen my dad kind of deal with that is to close to withdraw from those people, to close off from them. And I just really believe that what we most 
like the greatest gift we can give ourselves, our children, our future generations, and the people in our lives is to open through that frustration, to open through that desire to close. And that's the thing I'm committed to giving back to my dad. He's 74 now. He's not really looking to change. But if I can model what that looks like, if I can open my heart in the places and the times and the situations when I want to close it, then maybe just maybe some of that will go back up. And certainly I'm going to make sure that that goes forward in my generation and my bloodline and the people I'm with. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Okay, Adam, this has been great. Before we say goodbye, please tell us about the projects that currently excite you and where can people find you? There's many, many things on the go right now. Some of the things that I'm very excited about, first of all, just the one-on-one work. There is something magnificent that happens when you work with someone who has a massive heart and it's completely closed. The first thing I'm kind of like the thing that drags my heart forward into the world. The thing I can't not do is just the one-on-one work I do. There is something amazing that happens when someone who's reliable to create success, reliable to create results, and already has a humongous heart, but has learned through years of training and conditioning to separate it, probably unconsciously, when you represent them to the depth of their heart, and when you have them reintegrate that and live from it, the results are unbelievable and they are massive. They are not just in that individual, they impact the entire organization that that individual runs or leads in. That's the sort of thing people say like, what's your purpose? I couldn't fucking tell you if I had to. I just know that I have to do that. I care so much and the impact is so profound. That is my purpose, is having that impact with those people because that just changes the entire world. That's the first thing I'm most excited about. That's amazing. And I just want to add the fact that it's very rare nowadays to hear something like this in this age where everyone's trying to automate stuff and (laughs) work work week and create group programs and all that stuff. So it's really nice to hear this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I realized that, I mean, I've loved efficiency, right? A project manager, a lawyer. I realized just a few weeks ago that the way I most often waste my time is by trying to manage it better. (laughs) That's ironic. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I know. It took me 38 years to get that. Anyhow, um, that I'm excited about. I led coach training for five years and have not been doing that for about a year. I really miss that. And I really, I believe that coaching as a profession is transformative and here to make a huge impact. And I also believe that there's a lot of coaches that have not been trained well, that don't really have the support that they would benefit from. And so one of the projects I'm very excited is to just Um, My wife and I are launching a six-month program to support coaches in that. I could go into the details, but that's less interesting to me. I'm just very excited about supporting coaches and giving back into this profession. And I'll share uh, two more things. Um, One, myself and another man are launching a men's work group and some live events here in Victoria, British Columbia, where we live. And I'm very excited about that because that work has profoundly impacted my life, as I'm sure it has you as well, Colleen. Absolutely more men not only want this, but we deserve it. And we don't realize that we deserve what it means to really live into your masculinity. And it's profound and amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Lastly, we're kind of about three quarters of the way through a branding and relaunch process. And this will segue into where people can reach me because it's hard to right now. So I'm just excited to be, that's part of where my people, the smartest people in the room, all of that has kind of grown out of this process that we're in. And in the near future, I'll be launching a new website. There's a podcast that I'm going to start putting out called Men's Journey, The Better Men's Journey. Incidentally, that's the name I think I'm going to call it. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. (laughs) 
<laughs> cool. <laughs> as long as you will invite me as a guest, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all good, right? <laughs> so there'll be a, a podcast specifically for leading the smartest people in the room and for the smartest people in the room that are leading because there's two sides to that. And then where can people reach me? Uh, the easiest ways are to Google my name, Adam Quiney, Q-U-I-N-E-Y. There's only me. I don't know of any other Adam Quineys. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, all those boring places. And then our website is evergrowthcoaching.com where there's a ton of resources and stuff there for people that are interested in that. Awesome. All right. So guys, be sure to reach out to Adam. I will leave all the links in the show notes. And Adam, thank you again so much for joining us today. And I hope to have you again on the Men's Journey Today podcast in the future. I'd love that, Kaleem. This has been a treat. Definitely. Guys, till next time. Take care. Take care.